Welcome to another episode of Service Tension, where we explore ideas and individuals who are making a difference. Today, we'd like to welcome Ron Watkins, an Associate Vice President for Strategic Initiatives for the University of Illinois System and the Managing Director of SHIELD Illinois. For U of I students listening, we're all all too familiar with SHIELD and the work that they've done in the last few years. Uh, as you know, SHIELD has become a self-contained ecosystem of COVID testing units. U of I students had to uh, submit to that protocol two times a week to test themselves for COVID. It was a very convenient system. The system was linked through applications on our phones, and uh, we were able to go twice a week. It's been about five minutes, get tested, and make sure that we didn't have COVID. Welcome, Ron, to the podcast. Yeah. Guys, so nice to see you both. Thanks for having me on. This is great. Of course. Yeah, excited to have you. Could you start off and give a little bit of an introduction on yourself to provide a little bit of context for the conversation, how you got involved in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and just kind of a past life before uh, S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, happy to. Uh, so out of college, I was in the service for a while. Left as a captain in 2000, went into industry for two different Fortune 500 companies, and then decided mm-hmm. it was time to come back to school, get an MBA. Okay. Did that here at the University of Illinois, and that was my first real introduction to campus and getting to know folks. Went out, started a small consultancy after that, built that up, and then U of I called and said, hey, would you be interested in coming in and building a consultancy here called IBC? <laughs> and then uh, so stepped on campus, knocked that out, uh, ended up being an advisor for OTCR for a while at the Whoa. same time, which Switch was teams. pretty awesome. Switch same size. team, same time. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was running uh, T&M, the minor. Oh, yeah. And so most everything. of the students were uh, in that, were in that uh, minor, right? Mm-hmm. So I got to know them. They're like, hey, man, can you help out over here at OTCR? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Uh, it was awesome. So did that for a couple years and then just moved into administration after that. Mm. So I was associate dean of the Geese College of Business for, for quite a while. Right. And then uh, this COVID thing pops up. President's office calls, says, hey, kind of like to have you run this, this initiative for us, take this technology and push it out in the world. It was essentially a technology startup. Yeah. And I said, no. <laughs> I uh, didn't really understand what the implications were, didn't understand the reach. Right. And quite honestly, I was pretty happy with what was going on at Geese, so working to finish up my PhD on the side, got the kids, got the family, and uh, they came back. They're like, no, you have to do this. <laughs> and Jeff Brown calls me, he's the dean of the college of business, and says, man, you have to do this. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, what's the time frame? Like six months. Great. Six months, we'll give this a go. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and then a year later, I'm losing my job at Geese because we're still in the middle of it. And here I am, uh, two and a half years later, <laughs> still uh, still involved and be wrapping it up around the three-year point. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious also, what was that conversation like? I'm sure there was, it was something that was a little bit interesting because you mentioned it was a lot smaller than it became. And a lot smaller than it is even now. What was that like, and who maybe was it with about S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, so it's a great question. I was thinking very differently about what S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be based upon the campus model, but also how do we go fast? So at the time, a lot of uncertainty. All we knew is we needed to get accessible testing, and for me, my mission was the state of Illinois. Put together this non-for-profit and get the test out as quickly as possible. So my initial model was really more of a product leadership and an integrator. Hmm. And so it's like, how could I get as many communities across 
the state to essentially take what take what, we, what we're cooking over here. So just to interject really quickly, yeah, man. how far from a working test are you talking about right now? So how long it had had it been in place? Okay, or so, was it even in place? So the test it was the summer at that they were working on the test. Right. So they did it heavy over the summer. They did a couple pilots around May, June, and July here on campus, trying to get ready for students coming back. Mm. So they called me late July, and they're like, look, this looks good. Like, the test works. Mm -hmm. uh, so now how do we also get the other campuses? The first thought was get the other campuses back in, and then if possible— In the possible, U of I system? Uh, the whole state. Like, oh, the whole like state. how many other public institutions could we help get— back going because if we're going to get ourselves going shouldn't we be trying to help everybody else and how many is that just for the so audience. there is 10 uh so there's the directionals plus there's governor state northeastern and chicago state so there's <laughs> there's uh and if you look at siue versus sou so let's say there's 11 publics so it was like all right hit the 11 publics and then if possible see how we could extend past that right and that's the end of july so you have august to get things rolling, basically. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and and so that's it. How do you go fast? And mm -hmm. so the concept was like we have all we have all the ingredients. How can I get it so that so that you can just cook this up yourself? And so I kind of thought of it as uh, it's lab in a box. So like, if you want to make a meal in your kitchen but you didn't have the equipment to do it, you didn't have the ingredients, well then fine, I'm going to bring those to you. So went to every community and I was like, look, I'll bring you the lab. I'll bring you the equipment. Mm -hmm. I'll bring you the supply chain. Because you may not remember, there's real supply chain issues all the way through. So yeah. the actual reagents that were used in this were you weren't able to get, mm -hmm. which was super cool on our test because it eliminates this thing called an extraction process that takes two additional reagents. So essentially you just got down to reagent? one agent. Right. So um, – so they look for a uh, they they look for a marker, mm -hmm. and whatever that marker may be, in in this case we only needed we only needed what was needed to look for one certain gene, which was which is an S gene, and then there's also a uh, a P gene that mm -hmm. because ours does this triple look. Uh, compared to others that only did a look at one gene, ours looked at, did a look Are at these three. other saliva tests that you're talking. The other saliva tests, the Yale one, yes, but even even most of the nasal pharyngeal nasal swabs. One of the things that was cool about oh, ours, they only look for one. Yeah, dude. Whoa. Yeah, one. So oh. what was cool about ours was it actually looked for it looked for three. <laughs> so it, so it made a more uh, what's called uh, it's a very sensitive test then. So its specificity is really good, sensitivity is really good, and a lot of it's because of the three gene look. What are the potential disadvantages to, I mean, not potential, what were the disadvantages to having a three gene? Did that make it like Three a genes longer? way better. There's no, no question. Oh, wow. No so question. then I guess another question that I have is why did it take a little longer for, was it FDA approval? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Yale was right out of the box on the saliva side with, with, uh, with theirs. FDA was searching too. And they quickly approved the first couple through the door. Hmm. We were just behind on the heels, and then they really locked down the process because they were getting a lot of negative feedback as well. Right. And there was really perceptions around what is right. Mm -hmm. So we went through the grinder in ours. I mean, they put us through the absolute grinder. Oh wow! Meaning testing me to get stringently to, and yeah, to to make sure that to get that emergency use author, authorization. Yeah, everything mm. from. 
what happens if someone has tobacco before they mm-hmm. before they they drool? What happens if you brush your teeth? What happens if like like all these products yeah. and every age and I mean like uh, temperatures? Uh, what if the saliva is hot? What if it's cold? Like anything you can imagine, it was put to the ringer in a clinical testing environment, which means it had to be also compared to. Uh, a nasal pharyngeal every time because people mm. didn't even understand saliva as a medium. Right. Are there a lot more factors then to consider with saliva as a medium in, in comparison to the nasal test? Man, we can go down all sorts of rabbit holes. <laughs> we don't this. ask. <laughs> right, right. So, <laughs> so I, I would say that the, the, the most positive factor is anyone can collect it. Mm. Where at the time you right. had to have special certification, certificate of phlebotomist. Put something or, up the nose. Right, exactly. Yeah. Where this... Otherwise, Man, it hurt. Anybody, so you, you could do like a five-minute uh, training online and teach somebody how to drool, mm. which was one of the key reasons I'm being able to scale. Right. So then if other colleges were first in the door, kind of that first mover phenomenon, were why weren't they able to be in the place where S.H.I.E.L.D. is? Because I was looking at, for example, other universities, had friends at uh, Michigan or Indiana or other schools. Their, their schools weren't testing, first of all. Like it was kind of you either went to Walgreens or CVS to get a nasal swab and it wasn't super enforced. It wasn't something that was required for school. Right. Why was U of I successful, and why was U of I very stringent about testing in the first place? I guess even a preliminary question might mm-hmm. be, why was U of I able to even make this test faster than everyone else? Well, a lot of things are. One, the scientists on campus, Marty Burke, Paul Hargenreuther, uh, Tim Fan, unbelievable. They pulled in a team of, I don't know, 100 different individuals to help knock this out. Mm. So just geniuses. One had some really incredible faculty on it, right? PhD MDs that really deep into cancer research and everything else that just sort of switched and Do they just drop everything and yeah. get into this? Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. That's crazy. And they, they knocked it out. Uh, the second yeah. second thing is being a part of a system is a little bit different. Being at UIUC, we don't even think about UIS or UIC or the factor as a system. Right. Mm-hmm. A very glaring reason why this happened here and why it worked was because of, well, let me stay at UIUC and its ability to, to be cutting edge on intellectual property and wanting to be there. Mm-hmm. Secondly, UIUC and now I'll say the system where the system was pushing and UIUC were both saying, we want our students to be on campus. It's the best experience. Forget about the money. Right. Like, I don't care what it costs. We're, we're going to make that happen. They right. Did, yeah. Right. I mean, that's it. We're going to make it happen. That was their priority. Yeah, that's it. We're going to get them on campus. We're going to get them in the classroom. That's we where, need people back. Yeah, that's, where, that's where we want to be. Forget about it. We'll figure it out on the backside. Uh, other campuses, you know, cost is a real it's it's a real thing. So one, did they have the intellectual property to or the intellectual ability to just drop it and go after it? That already reduces down to not that many campuses. And, mm-hmm. and then of those, do they have the commitment to jump in and say, forget about the cost, forget about everything else. Mm-hmm. We're just going to go. And so just to jump in, you're then saying the system is a structure or function that helped U of I have this ability to just say, we don't care about the costs? Or? So the system in part saying, yeah, we got you, we'll back that. So then I guess you've mentioned that there aren't that many other systems. In, there's like you know, there's seven. UNC and UT and UC maybe. Why didn't they jump at anything like this? So some of them did. They just came a lot later. 
UC Davis would be an example of trying to do what we did here, which I know would, they have a good med school, which there. would project back out to the University of California system. Mm-hmm. Where the system really played this role here was saying, wait a second, if UIUC did such a great job with this, their head's in the state. So they're the ones who are then saying, now how do we take it off this campus and be able to push it statewide? Right. Where yeah. other universities are thinking, when they think community, Michigan's thinking Ann Arbor. Right. UIUC's thinking you know, Urbana-Champaign. System's thinking state. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. it thinks community, it thinks differently. So there's not that many that are like that across the United States. So that's where the system really played a role by being like, our community's the state. Mm-hmm. We got to get everyone back. We got to get everybody back, yeah. all the universities. And then from there, hey, if you can go further, do it. So it really was just kind of the perfect mixture of like things for this to launch and get across the whole state. Science, leadership and bold vision by UIUC and then followed up by bold vision by the system. Mm. Yeah. So then while you were growing, so while this, so it became a priority to grow across the state to give testing to everybody in the Illinois system, but then all the state schools, uh, state colleges. How did you guys go about, what, what did scaling look like? Like what was the timeline then from when you first started to, how many people did you have to today or in the peak of when you guys were scaling? Yeah, right. So uh, the first model to scale didn't work. Okay. So that's where I was trying to bring that lab in a box, essentially, and the supply chain and the technology. The technology is a super big part to make this all work because you essentially have to have a healthcare system that gets you your results and does it in a HIPAA-compliant way. Right. Mm. And it's not like you're a part of that clinic or a part of that hospital. You have to be able to essentially sign everybody up on site. Right. So the thought was we just bring that in, and it didn't work. So went to communities, and many of them just couldn't pull it off. So what we had to do is we essentially had to change our business model and turn it into one of, one of operational excellence instead of product excellence, and we had to vertically integrate. So then we had to say, okay, school can't do the collection. We have to do the collection. Hmm. School can't transport it. We have to transport it. You just plugged in wherever. All of it, yeah. And then even at the hospitals that were so up for putting in the lab, they were having problems hiring and getting anybody in. So it was like, all right, we got to hire the folks and run the lab. So it became you guys were running everything to do with everything. Yeah. So Hmm. uh, maybe 30 days in, we had three to four employees. I would say at six months, we're sitting at about 30 employees. Okay. And then that's where the flip happened and the switch happened. We really knew that we had to vertically integrate. We blew up to peak was 325 employees and 1,100 contractors. Hmm. So in an 18 months, we went from one to over 1,400 individuals. And, and just through. for some more context, do you have a number on what the tests were looking like at that time as well in parallel? Yeah, uh, roughly... We were sitting maybe 300,000 as we crested the six-month mark. And then a year later, we're sitting at 4 million, 5 million. In a year? Yeah. Whoa. Ridiculous. Yeah. And that's just the whole state? Yeah. Then, so at the peak, we had 77 community sites. So the same thing happened with the state. So we found that because we were cheaper, faster, better tests, better everything, literally, the state's like, well, then can you do this? Can you take over this? Can you take over that? Because our total cost 
was roughly 30 bucks and which was 25% of what they were used to paying and in some cases 20%. Mm-hmm. And that's 30 bucks per test? Yeah, it's everything. That's, oh, okay. pick, so the that's picking test? it up. That's, that, that's picking it up. It's transporting it. It's running mm-hmm. the test. It's everything else. Most folks were running just the test for $75 to $80. Wow. And that didn't count paying somebody to pick it up drive it and everything else so we were doing 75 to 80 is their cost just the test and that's the oh the test and that doesn't count the the more expensive thing the harder thing is pine is is hiring someone to go collect it transport it and roll it back Hmm. right because one person in the lab can do or few people in the lab can do thousands but how many people does it take to go out and collect thousands and then drive it in and tests weren't Correct me if I'm wrong, but tests weren't free to the public at the time. No, and they so weren't. Well, through I, community sites. Okay. I remember them being mm. priced pretty high as well. Yeah, super high. And, so. and, and, and the worst part was the time. So if, if, you don't, if you don't get results within 24 hours, it's almost pointless to test. That's so true. I never even, you know, that's a point that I completely forgot about until, until now, yeah. Because, I mean, if you thought you were exposed or anything like that and you tested once and it showed up as like all like you don't have it and you could go and test the next day and you could have it right after it's so it was just so like frequent the amount of times that you had to that's right and with pcr versus antigen it's completely different Mm. so like the antigen test can really only tell when you're at your peak you hit so with covid the the interesting part is you hit your peak the day before you show symptoms Mm. and that's what made this of antigens on anything so like what made this so dangerous was the fact that you don't know you have it and you're at your peak. Then your symptoms hit the next day. Then you know you might have it. And then you know you might have it, but you're actually coming down off your peak. And so once you start testing, it's less valid or it's less sensitive to those tests? It's all less sensitive, yeah. right? And so, and so let's say you're two days later after your symptoms it's done. Like right. you can't transmit it anymore. You're past. Hmm. And, so, and so when you take that antigen, it's great. If you're right there, it hit the peak or the first day right. when it's coming on, even then it's less sensitive versus the PCR test catches actually on its way up. Hmm. So we can catch even before your peak. So that's where, that's where in places like the court, like we've got the court system going again. And if you can imagine how many people sat waiting for a court date, right. like the whole system's backed up. The whole judicial process is stopped. So we had to get in and get all the courts opened hmm. and and get that going. But we then had to make it safe. So by by drooling the jurors and the folks coming in the day before, we were able to consistently make it so that they had a less than 1% positivity rate all the way through. Hmm. So the court system opened up, started rolling. Same hmm. thing in places like Rivian and ADM that cared about their employees that had them do it coming in. Same thing. They were able to keep it open running it through. So it's absolutely essential for every level of business, every level of economics, every level of judicial system, things that we took for granted before COVID, you guys were facilitating happening ongoing while the pandemic was occurring. For the state. Yeah, for the state. state. Yeah. So we ended up jumping in. So we ended up with 70% of the universities in the state. We had 1,800 and some uh, K through 12 schools. Oh, wow. Uh, We had another 77 community sites. Not to mention the court system, the legislators. I don't know how many companies uh, we we helped. Long-term healthcare facilities. All in all, it was well over two thousand sites. Oh, wow. All put up in those. That's why we needed the. So we needed the fourteen hundred 
jokers around to <laughs> collect, you know, However gallons of saliva. Yeah. I mean, at our peak, we were doing 250,000 samples a, uh, a week, mm-hmm. which is a lot to collect every day. Yeah. It is. I remember seeing people moving the pallets out of the gyms at U of I, taking those to the testing facilities, right. and they were yeah. person high. And none of that even <laughs> counts U of I. Yeah, so oh, the U of I wow. was completely oh, wow. separate because <laughs> they had their own lab, their own ecosystem. Right. <clears throat> we had to have a different ecosystem back to that HIPAA-compliant technology system because mm-hmm. we had to be able to sign anybody up off the street. For, for, for the students here, like you, you're already in a, an ecosystem that has McKinley Health Center. Yeah. So they just banked it off McKinley Health C- Center's uh, uh, technology system right. to do results. But we had to be able to like, go in a homeless shelter and be able to knock that out for an individual and still get them you know, secure results. It's just totally different. It sounds unbelievably difficult from an external perspective, and I think that is probably even the tip of the iceberg. We don't see all the behind-the-scenes logistics and hiring the contractors and everything. What was the most challenging part of the scaling and building this huge business up? Yeah, a lot of challenges. I know you talked about a couple of roadblocks. There's so many, Mm -hmm. right? Hiring that many people that fast, if you remember, folks didn't want to work during this time. Yeah, right. They were also getting paid to not work (laughs) so the labor market is really thin right Mm -hmm. and then within the labor market that's thin uh, i want you to go deal with the virus all day every day Uh, we were still able to hire Mm. that was a major roadblock that was just getting that many people that fast right in terms of the scale so the other the other major challenge was just aside from the supply chain and having to like, you know, convince Durbin to jump in and help us unload a plane that's in international airspace at, at O'Hare. Dealing with the external environment of, of people starting to get very polarized on, on what they wanted or, or didn't want to have happen. And it became fairly political. Mm. And it's like, look, we're not here to take one side or the other. What we're here to do is create a safe environment. If you want right. to test, test. If you don't want to test, don't test. Right. So then would you say there was some sort of like discrepancy between what decisions were being made like based on the science or the public perception. Very much, maybe. very much at every level. Right. Everybody we and dealt with. And that must have been difficult to just keep moving forward. After. Yeah. And so you're familiar with the Freedom of Information Act, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got FOIA'd. I think at one time legal said I was top five all time that they had ever worked with. Just a number of folks that were like, just want to dig through all my emails and dig through everything we're doing and like Jeez. really try oh, and wow. find ways to to knock us down. Oh man. Um, to say this is something that shouldn't be happening. It's like, look, you can choose to test or not. Your community can. You can individually. It, in some environments, if they mandated it, then that's on that environment. That's not on us. Right. But if you're gonna if they're gonna mandate testing. Why not take the one that's the least expensive, the fastest, and the best, the highest quality test out there? Because, <laughs> I mean, we were averaging, we got down to 13 hours. Whether you drooled in Rockford or Cairo, Illinois, 13 hours later, you're getting a result on your phone. Right, which is amazing, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So you were basically every, probably every few weeks, every, I don't even, it sounds like even more consistently than that, people were coming to you and saying, trying to shut the operation down, the entire thing Just, down. Well, they were... Wondering if we were literally uh, using monkey DNA is a big one. They uh, were trying to tie us back to China. There was all sorts of different, um, what are you doing with the genetics, the genetic code? 
right. you know, we we don't deal with the human genome in any way here. Like this is not. So how do those conversations go? What do you What do you do? I mean, uh, all, all you could do is show them the science. It's it. Just show them the science. Talk to them and sit there and just take it. Like mm-hmm. I had a one representative just sit there and call me liar, liar, liar. One after another, it's like I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, Here's I, the data, man. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what to say. Hey, don't test. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. Um, no, yeah. But that's... you can imagine the, some of the parent groups. You it know, is crazy, though, because it's like they're trying areas. to stop a, a system that was, <laughs> I mean, it was wildly helpful, and it wasn't, I mean, yeah, it's exactly like what you said. It was, It was. if the environment mandated it, it was on the environment if you wanted to talk to them about it. But yeah. I don't know why they would come at the, the system. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, I got nothing to say <laughs> other than other than it was uh, it, there was a lot of external noise all the way through in addition to in addition to everything else that had to get done. So it's not just about put it together. This I mean, th- this 400 mile by 200 mile logistic system, you know, with 12.3 million people, which we reached three to four million. It's not even about doing that in a year. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, you've got a lot of external noise on top of the supply chain issues and the hiring issues and right. how you build a technology system, the TIPA compliant and all the, everything else. So then it sounds like you were under an insane amount of pressure, right? There was really quick timetables, a lot of things happening, multiple factors outside and inside of the business. What let you, what do you think made you able to be successful in that position, uh, leaving the organization and, and going through that? Well, so for me personally, it was about hiring the right folks. That's it. Surrounding yourself with the right Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Get the best athletes in the draft, get the smartest folks around, get Mm -hmm. the subject matter expertise where we had to, which is really on the science side, and went really deep with that. Right. And let them do their thing. Create an environment where they can be successful. And that really means giving them challenges and give them everything they need to be successful and to fail and put them in a judgment-free zone on those successes and failures especially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did a lot of your background then help in that? So you went through the military, you went through uh, consulting, you went through two Fortune 500 companies, you went through building organizations at Gies. Yeah. Where did those all kind of fit into how S.H.I.E.L.D. was built into the DNA of S.H.I.E.L.D.? It's a good question. Quite honestly, when I reflect on this, it really is about the creating the environment, creating the folks, mm-hmm. the, the culture, if you're at the top of an organization, in my opinion, the culture's on you. You're the one who has to set it. You're the one who has to enforce it in the best possible ways. Mm-hmm. So it's not just hiring to it. It's actually displaying what it, that culture is. Mm-hmm. And if you do it well, folks will gravitate to it. They'll thrive in it. And if you don't, the opposite happens. Right. And, yeah. So as for the future of S.H.I.E.L.D. then, COVID has come kind of waning down at this point. Testing is probably much lower. I think when we talked, it was significantly lower than the peak. Um, what is the future of S.H.I.E.L.D.? What are you guys looking at in terms of potential applications for the business, testing, labs, all those things? Right. It's a great question. We are less than 10% of what we were doing before. So really focusing on getting folks uh, to their next successful adventure. Referring to as they're graduating from uh, from Shield, Illinois, and <laughs> going on to their their next their next place, bigger and better. Mm-hmm. What I'm most proud of is how we're going to leave the state. We're taking the equipment that we have and we're putting it out at 
most of the directional universities. Hmm. Right now, actually, I think it's all of them in terms of the, the directionals, but not all the publics. So they will have the, the, the capacity. They'll have the equipment in place for a future viral attack. Hmm. I don't think it's a matter of, of if, just when down the road. And they can use that equipment for research. They can use it for all sorts of great things on campus until and if something pops back up. And by viral attack, is that, are you referring to like a purposeful attack or a... Anything. An evolution of a virus that comes... Anything. Oh, okay, okay. Right? So I'm not going to get started on, on, on how we think about disasters and, and how we address those versus how we address things that we can't see, such mm-hmm. as viruses. Right. But, you know, we have to be prepared to handle something in the future that's a virus. Mm-hmm. And these universities... Northern, Southern, Eastern, Western, they're all now going to have the equipment uh, on campus to do research and still be able to stand them up if we have to get the PCR machines up and going again. And then we're going to keep one lab, and it's going to be on the UIC campus. Hmm. That one is going to have two missions. One, it's going to be kind of the hub for the hub and spoke if we have to fire back up for um, for handling a, a virus. And but what it's going to do day to day is it's going to train individuals, whether it's through internships or externships or taking an individual off the street who wants to get the skills that they need to work in a lab. So what we found was it's really hard to hire uh, lab technicians and those with experience, especially in uh, the regulatory like CLIA or CAP. And essentially they're called um, medium and high complexity is the type of work that you're doing and specifically molecular high complexity is what we were doing. Hmm. It's super hard to find those individuals. So we're focusing on taking folks, ideally from two-year schools, some from four-year schools that I said off the street, and we're gonna give them the training and what they need and the professional development to, to get a job. Last piece, we're actually lining up companies to come in and help pay to make that happen. So hmm. the, there won't be any cost to them Ideally, we're actually going to pay them to be in the lab. So they'll get paid internships, paid externships, and have a job waiting for them on the backside. That's really cool. Very cool. Yeah. I guess then a personal question from us is, it seems like you're always on to the next big thing, something cool down the line. What do you see yourself moving on to next? Or is this kind of what you're focusing on? Oh, I love this. So what got me super fired up was, seeing the disparity of education in the K through 12 schools across the state. Uh, and I really want to address that. So I'm several months into a plan that I'm going to pitch to the system on us having a virtual school and a virtual school for K through 12, really a focus on middle school and high school. So like how many AP classes were at the school you went to? A lot, maybe like I don't know. Right. And Grant, how many hours did you come in with your freshman year? Uh, probably like 20. Okay. But I was I was at an unusual school, I think, for like AP offerings. That's fine. Uh, you stuff. came yeah. in with 20, 20 credit hours, right? Yeah. All right. So if you go you go 10 minutes east of here, you hit St. Joe. They have one AP class. The one? high school. One. What class? Wow. Oh, it's, it's like English. So you go, <laughs> you, you, you go to Muhammad, which is the same direction west. They have mm-hmm. 16. Oh, man. So w- w- when we saw the disparities and between... And how far? Was it away? Oh, it's like 10 minutes one way, 10 minutes the other way. 15 oh, minutes each way. It D- doesn't matter. Right. So if you look across the state, the average number of... This is just AP classes. The average number is three to five. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. So what's that tell you about disparities? 
It exists. <laughs> There's a lot of them. So exists, especially at the rural and low-income schools. The low-income schools can't hire go forward or they can't find the teachers to come in and do it. Mm. So there's not even those opportunities. And then, then if you're not in the high-track math, for example, coming out of seventh and eighth grade, you're not even having an opportunity to make it to calculus in high school. Never even expected, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we address that? And I'm really fired up about taking what we've done and understand in terms of online education hmm. and being able to bring that down to your rural high school that has 300 or 400 students right. and have a menu and be like, what do you want to take? You can have AP anything. What? You just got to sit in the room and have a computer. There's this major broadband project that's happening. It's bringing in, oh, it's already at 400 million. It's going to end up being a billion dollars invested in the state that's not wow. just fiber to the schools. It's going to be fiber to the curbs. So we, we've got the infrastructure. Now, the thing is, we got to ride something on infrastructure and getting students to be successful in life. Forget about college ready. Successful in life is very much about having the access to that education. And so that's what I'm going to be pitching here in literally the next 60 days is, is wow. my goal. That sounds really cool. Kind of, I guess, to dig in on that just for a second, yeah. is there, how do you make online school engaging? Like, what's the idea behind making, I know high schoolers tend to be less motivated about high school in general maybe than a lot of even college kids. How do you make online school something that a lot of kids, like I remember uh, I, I had friends that were, or friends that were in high school that, you know, stayed in bed all day and just took the Zoom class in their bed. How do you make it kind of engaging and <laughs> right. interesting for those right. kids? So unfortunately, the only way to do this in a cost-effective and accessible, accessible way is to do it uh, asynchronous. Hmm. That said, asynchronous can be made to be done well. And part of the plan that I'm looking at is that we actually have someone on the ground. So you go, let's say it's your seventh hour in school. Your seventh hour is in a room that you, that if you don't have a computer, we'll have a computer there for you. And someone's in the room who's a, who's a TA, right? Someone, a, a teacher's assistant, and you're taking whichever class off that menu that you need to take. That's in your seventh hour. Or if you're right. taking too many, it's seventh and eighth hour, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in there. So you have on the ground someone who's, who's there with you in the classroom. You're taking an engaging course. And be really careful about the instructors because the instructors have to be on top of you, office hours, reaching out, really giving good feedback. And they have to be very, like, versed on whatever class you take. It's yeah. really interesting. I actually had a class like that when I was uh, – when I was – I took AP Computer Science. Yeah. When I was, mm -hmm. like, a sophomore or something, and it was, it was like, like, fourth period or something, and I would go into the library, and there would be a TA, and I would sit and take it asynchronously. And, yeah, I did well in the class, so – and I really enjoyed it, yeah. So it sounds like something that definitely can be, like, super productive. And it sounds really exciting, honestly. Yeah, I'm really yeah. fired up about it. I mean, we need to make a difference in the state. Mm -hmm. And right now, we have this, this confluence of things. We, and I personally built up high trust with the state, the governor's office, ISBE. We have that same trust now with 480 school districts. Mm. Building from shield, right? right? This is kind of a Building natural progression from, from shield. shield. That's right. Wow. Okay. Right. So we have the trust in place, which is such a big thing. People buy from who they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're rolling that right now. So then if we can bring what we actually do as an institution, which is education, unlike testing or like COVID <laughs> shield, right? So we bank on that, but we take what we actually do. Right. And, and, and the college education at UIC and UIUC are super engaged and ready. UIS wants to help get this going. I mean, there, there's pieces together and we have a governor who's just, who just reelected. So 
we've got some runway there before administration is going to change over to be able to sell in. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it, and it's not like we didn't just pull something really big off and have the same players walking in <laughs> saying, hey, this is actually easier to do. <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Wow. That's super exciting. Really cool. Like so uh, if there's nothing, anything else you want to talk about before we hop off the mics, I think we have some concluding thoughts. But other than that, there's a platform if you... Super excited that both of you are doing this. I think it's great. If you're getting a chance as someone who's listening to continue to to engage with you guys, that's the best way for both you to get better and for them to enjoy these more and more. So I would just encourage whoever's actually listening, reach out, engage with you. Tell you tell you what's going well, (laughs) what's not going as well, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Which is probably even more important. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes, that'd be it. Cool. And one last question for you then. Uh, what if you had to live by a principle or a quote? Kind of, what's like your central value, or what is a few of your central values that you try to hold uh, near and dear? All right, the geese is not going to like this. They're, they're <laughs> business on purpose, right? Yeah. So uh, part of part of what I think about is uh, perform without purpose. Hmm. What does that mean? All right. So you ever run a five k or think about doing that, or like you've some something that gets you off the couch to go do whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I'm saying is you eliminate needing to have that to get you off the couch to go do it. Mm. So it's perform without having that purpose in place. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, it's a a big one, right? Yeah. Uh, The others really about, for me, surrounding myself with smart, challenging folks and keeping that that around you all the time. I mean, you hear it, but it's real. You learn from other people as much, I'd say more so than you do others. So right. if you're not surrounding yourself with those folks, like you'll know it, especially if you have. Mm-hmm. So it means you're not in the right environment. You're not setting yourself up for the right things. Right. Yeah. That's huge. It yeah. really is. Yeah. So with that, uh, I think we'll wrap things up. Thank you so much, Ron, for hopping on the show. This was an absolute pleasure. We didn't know, or I didn't know nearly as much about Shield or the technology or the scaling mm-hmm. or the progression to where you guys are looking at today yeah. before this conversation. It's so. definitely really cool to have lived through that and benefited from being able to just live, I mean, almost and as normal as a life as we could have as college kids then. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is thanks to you. So, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you guys are great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hey, are you still listening? If so, you've reached the end of the episode. As usual, you can find all of our updates on Instagram at surfacetension.pod and look for future releases on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.